for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. So, Matt, are you ready for Snowpocalypse 2023? I'm going straight from here to the hardware store to get some ice melt because there's about a three-inch thick layer of ice on my sidewalk that I need to make sure I take care of before two feet of snow get piled on top of it. Otherwise, I'm ready. I uh, did the big grocery run yesterday. My snowblower is in working condition. I should probably make sure it has gas. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, um, we're, we're all set to... This is literally probably going to be the last time I leave the house until Saturday. Yeah. I was going to go to the... USD Oral Roberts game on Thursday night. I'm definitely not going to now because of this. Um, so, yeah, I'm prepared to, to hunker down. I'm assuming Arthur's school is going to get canceled, so I won't have to take him to and fro. And, uh, yeah, I'll be in PJs for about 96 hours or however long it's going to be. Not a huge adjustment because you and Jen both work at home. Right. This, this affects more people who don't work at home, uh, in, including me. Some Well, one of my jobs, a couple of my jobs I work at home. One of them I don't. So and I think I, I feel comfortable with saying this. I think this would be, it speaks well of one of the companies I work for. Get ready for get ready for snowpocalypse coverage on Dakota News now because it's going to be it's going to be wall to wall. They really care. Well, I mean, it sounds like a fr- I mean, they're talking about two feet. Yes, yeah. Minneapolis could get three feet. And I so mean, it's like, what the? And Jesus. S- some people might be listening to this on Tuesday if and when we've released it on Tuesday. Some people are listening to this in the throes of snowpocalypse right. Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. Uh, but uh, th- they're going to be on it. Like, we've been told, like, just get ready to do a weather oh, story. It's starting to come down again now. Oh, wow. Already. Uh, yeah, a bunch of stuff got Well, moved. part of it, too, is there's just nowhere to put it. We, yeah. we, we still got the five <laughs> yes. feet of snow we've yes. already got this winter. Because some people may be listening to this. I mean, it's a, whether, whenever you're listening to it, it's probably snowing or it has snowed a lot. Maybe this is a good time since most people are probably not driving while listening to this. Maybe hunkered down somewhere. Maybe just story time with Matt. There's a couple of uh, – I, I want to talk about two, and if we get to a third one, three Legends of Sioux Falls. They're three different ages. One of them just died. One of them is about to retire that you just wrote about, and the story just came out today. And one of them is someone uh, that is just uh, extremely young, a high schooler who's – Wildly intriguing. We got Bob Young, Dave Kraft, and JT Rock. I mean, a seven foot one basketball junior anywhere in the country named JT Rock. How lucky are we <laughs> that we have him here? And he's already broken a rim. And um, I know you've covered some some high school stuff. And uh, but we, you know, we never got to Bob, and because uh, other things were happening around the time that he died, and we just didn't fit it in. And I've had a couple people say they want to hear Bob Young stories, or they want to hear about Bob Young, and they want to hear about a couple of other things revolving around Bob Young not being with us anymore. Um, but uh, I'll let, I'll let you take the lead. Do you want to do Bob, or do you want to do Dave first? Uh, I mean, we can talk about Bob. The thing is, is I don't have a lot of Bob Young stories. Yeah. I never covered his teams. Yes. My first year covering USF was Kalen DeBoer's first year as a head coach. Um, but, you know, if, if I have, if people want to hear 
what I know about Bob Young or what I remember about him, that's probably where I can start. I would first recommend people read the feature. It was very well done, and you leaned on a bunch of people who knew him a lot better and had right. But yeah, he's not a. Um, and I'm sorry to interrupt. He's not a classic. My depiction is he's not a classic. Like, oh, there's just a bunch of great, hilarious stories about Bob Young. He was mm -hmm. uh, he was just a very nice, uh, kind man, and uh, obviously a great coach. But you know, he wasn't the most hilarious or colorful character either. There's some funny stories out there that are kind of related to that. Okay, how he was sort of a much like John Stiglmeyer, sort of a, a Ned Flanders like character a little bit. That well, okay. most of the funny stories you hear about Bob are a little bit playing off of the fact that he was so kind and, and so, uh, you know, faith-driven and, and just nice and, and everything that, you know, sometimes that made him a little naive in a funny way. Uh, I, I've heard stories from some of his former players kind of playing on, on you know, Bob the the old teacher kind of guy and not, not like you mentioned, sort of the, the prototypical angry crack-the-whip sort of football coach that, used to be the stereotype isn't so much anymore uh, but I'm you know those are someone else's stories to tell if they want to I would just say about Bob Young the first time I ever met him or talked to him he came up and introduced himself to me and he very much treated me like I was the big deal in that exchange and that he couldn't like oh it's so nice to meet you and um, that was a long time ago I was a nobody and I was very taken aback that Bob was so respectful towards me and seemed so genuinely interested in meeting me and getting to know me and asking me some questions about myself. Um, he, he was just, it was very disarming to have someone who I knew yeah. as sort of a legendary coach come up and treat me like that. And then it came, became obvious to me in a short period of time that that's how he is with everybody. And then when I did this story yeah. on him after he passed, uh, I was talking to Kalen DeBoer, and I don't think this really made it into this, the column I wrote, but one of the things Kalen talked about when just talking about what Bob was as a person, what made him a, a good coach and everything you remember about him is that was Bob. He made such a strong effort to get to know everyone he came across. He had a way of making whoever he was talking to feel special in that moment. Now, everyone knows how to do small talk. How you been? What are you doing? How's your dad? How's your kids? You know, blah, 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 blah. Kalen made a point, and keep in mind, we're talking about Kalen DeBoer, who is now the head coach of the Washington Huskies. Like, he made a point to say, like, Bob was the kind of guy who asked you questions because he wanted to know the answers. He wasn't just trying to make small talk. He wasn't just trying to get through a weird social interaction. He wanted to learn about you. He wanted to know who you were. Where did you come from? Who are your friends? Who are your family? Might you be related to someone I know? Or do we have some sort of connection? And it was really weird. Not weird. It was really whatever, nice, funny, to hear Kalen say that because he was describing the exact first interaction I ever had with Bob, where I had no reason to think he would have any idea who I was, and he wanted to know, like, so did you grow up in Sioux Falls? Where did you go to high school? You know, where would you play football? Who were your coaches? All these sorts of things. And you could tell that Bob was sincere in that, that he wanted to know those things. And, you know, then I asked later Curtis Riggs, who I don't need to tell you, doesn't have a lot in common with Bob Young personality-wise, a different kind of dude. And so I was really interested in hearing what Curtis had to say about Coach Young. And he said, yeah, you know, obviously I'm a different style of coach. Curtis is fiery. Curtis is a little more on edge. He's not, you know, going to constantly be talking about his religious faith, all those sorts of things. He might, he might curse a time or two. Right, right. And he, you know, he's pretty funny. He's got a pretty sharp tongue. And but Curtis made a point to say, you know, the way Bob built relationships with people, the way he made people 
like him, the way he made people feel liked. He said, yeah, that's just a great thing to have in your interpersonal relationships, you know, how you interact with other human beings. But he said, made him a good coach, made for better football players. His players felt like this guy cares about me, this guy loves me, this guy believes in me. And he said, I think that made them better players. And, yeah, absolutely, that's something that I carried into my coaching at Roosevelt, at USF, at with the Storm. Like, if you make players feel like not only do I care about you, but I believe you, I think you can do this thing I'm asking you to do, well, maybe that explains the kind of success that those programs have had especially in so many situations where they've been underdogs, you know, did things that other people would have said, you can't do those things. Well, the thing that intrigues me the most, and by the way, I feel like I, uh, my, my old radio host t- nature is kicking in. Bob Young was the legendary University of Sioux Falls football coach for, what, the, the early 80s to about 2005 was his last year? Uh, no, I think 2003 was his last year. Okay, and uh, so did Kalen... He, did Bob take three or four? Did Bob take his last team to the national title game and lost, or was that uh, Kalen's no. first team? No, neither. Uh, oh, okay. Bob went to he won it in '96. Yep. I believe they were runner-ups in either 2000 or 2001, and then I think 2003 or four was his last year, and they were still a playoff team, but he didn't leave like after a, a national championship game or whatever. It was just it, it was Kalen's time. Yeah. And in Kalen's first year, they went. Nine and one, their one loss was on the road to Morningside, and like they fumbled at the one yard line, they missed an extra point, still lost by should have won the game, and uh, they went to went to the playoffs, kind of motored through the playoffs, and then they got beat fifty five to nothing by Carroll at Carroll. I was at that game, traveled with the team out to Montana, and Carroll was a giant back then. They were, but U.S. Everyone thought U.S.F. was going to win, and they went out there and just got their doors blown off. Now part of it was the weather. It was a blizzard, and the field was glare ice, and apparently USF didn't bring the right shoes or whatever, so they were slipping and sliding all over the place. But that doesn't account for 55 points, obviously. And, you know, you could ask Kalen DeBoer, Curtis Riggs, Chuck Morrell, anyone from that era will tell you that was a day where we decided, okay, it's time to take this things up a notch. That's when they realized we're not what we thought we were. We're not as good as we thought we could be. We have to change everything. And that's when they went out and got Chad Cavender as their quarterback to kind of come in and change things up. And I believe they went to the national championship the next year. I can't remember if that – yeah, they won it in 06. Mm-hmm. So 05 would have been Kalen's first year, yeah. so 04 would have been Bob's last year. Because Kalen only lost three games in his entire tenure. So two of them yeah. were in that first year, and then – is that correct? Yeah. And then they – They lost the Mud Bowl to Carroll in like 07. Seven. 07. Yeah. Then they went undefeated in 08 and 09. Wow. Unbelievable. So, yeah, but but Bob kind of built that. Bob gave Kalen a great foundation, and Kalen did, <laughs> did take it to another he level. He took it to the next level. But what's what's crazy about the Bob Young thing, and, okay, some people don't know this, many people do, especially if you're a USF fan or read Matt's story, the fact that for a good chunk of Bob Young's time at USF, and let's just single out the national championship season in 1996, they didn't have a full practice field. It wasn't even really a football or a field. Home field for games. It, it was uh, so their practice field was just a green patch, patch of grass in on the campus, a very tiny campus, and as most people know, and then um, and then Bob yeah. was the only full time coach. And their I, coordinators had day jobs. My God, they came to came to practice after work. 
You know, and may and I have no idea if that was like par for the course in NAIA football at the time or not. But it certainly did not seem like a formula, a foundation for building a successful football program. That just they played two home games that regular season, one at O'Gorman and one at Brandon. That's crazy. I thought that USF always played at Howardwood Field until they got their new stadium. Uh, they were playing at they did when they could, but high school stadiums. That's not absurd. even stadiums. High school fields, right? High school fields, yeah, that's not a stadium. God, and they had two home games. This is 1996, and this was and was this partly because nobody wanted to come to Sioux Falls? Like, how did they only have two home games? Uh, Curtis told me that particular year, 96. I mean, they had been really good in 95. Okay, I think they were undefeated in and the regular season and, and lost in the Riggs, playoffs. By the way, most people know this, but just Curtis was the quarterback. And 95 would have probably been yeah would have been him and Kalen's junior year. Okay, so they were already loaded, torn up, won the G Pack. If it was the GPAC then, it might have been the SDIC. I think it was. Um, and I think they lost, their only loss, I think, came like in the playoff semifinals or quarterfinals or something. So they knew they were going to be loaded coming back in 96. And, yeah, it was the SDIC because they had like five non-conference games. And I remember Curtis telling me that they had to start the – I think they played their first five or six games on the road to open that year. And basically everyone they had called to play said, yeah, we'll play you, but you got to come to our place. We're not good. In their conference. And they, No, no. They, they had to have that many non-conference games. But then the conference games, I think they gave up a couple home games in conference play just because they didn't have a field. Oh, my God. You know, it's like, well, we can either play at T or we can you know, just go ahead and play it at Northwestern <laughs> or whatever. T didn't they, you exist. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's, just, that's all insane outside of the fact that they still won. What, all their games? Did they go undefeated that year? Uh, in 96? Uh, yeah. 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 They had a couple God. close ones, but for the most part, they blew everyone away. Um, so, I mean, he wasn't just a nice, wonderful guy. Obviously, he had something special to cook up a winning mm -hmm. program despite all, yep. despite a lot of these And that challenges. was one of the things I wanted to know about in doing this story because I never saw him coach. Yeah. I never had a conversation with him about football. Every conversation I ever had with Bob Young was just about life yeah. or 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 USF in general like oh what do you think's gonna you know I never ever had like an X's and O's conversation with Bob because I never interviewed him um so I wanted to hear from from Curtis and, and Kalen and you know like wow you know was this guy just a did he kind of luck into recruiting some great players who did it for him or you know and and Kalen gave me some great stuff about what a good teacher Bob was and the, the thing he said is he could coach every position and that's something that was a lot more common back in those days because you had to. You know, I'm sure John Stiglmeyer has coached m many of the positions before because he's had to. And Kalen said, too, he said, one of the best things that Bob Young did for me was when I became the offensive coordinator, he made me be the O-line coach. Kalen was a wide receiver. Now, he was either going to be the receiver's coach or most OCs are also the quarterback's coach. Bob said, no, I want you to coach the old line. And he made him do it for either a year or two. And why, why was that? Because he that? felt like if Kalen was going to be the kind of coach that he is today, he needed to know that stuff. Kalen didn't know shit about being an old lineman. You wow. know, I mean, he's a wide receiver. Yeah. But he told me this story about how they sat in his office for like a whole day, maybe multiple days, and Bob broke it down like for a fifth grader. Here's the – like – each individual step of how you block a zone block, how you pull, how you trap, pass wow. block, all of it, and taught him literally every single individual fundamental about how to play offensive so line. So at some point in his career, Bob must have been either an offensive lineman or Bob an offensive was, line coach. Bob was an offensive lineman when he played. So no that was kidding. Yeah. Okay. But also, like, 
that's one of those things that you go, oh, what a great idea. But then you also think about it and go, well, duh. You know, why wouldn't, like, it seems so simple. Like, why wouldn't you do that? And, you know, is it a coincidence that Kalen became such a good offensive coordinator? Probably not. You know, he was a great, great wide receiver. He knows how to play that. You know, he knows that quarterbacks, like I said, most offensive coordinators coach the quarterbacks because they are an extension of them on the field. But for him to, to learn how to play O-line, and, and you look at USF's great teams under Kalen, they had damn good offensive linemen. And some of that, I think, was Kalen being able to identify talent. Around that same time, uh, you know, Augie was in Division Two competing against him. Augie used to have crappy offensive linemen. Now, granted, it was a, they were in the N NSIC or NCC. It was Division Two versus NAI. But I remember thinking, like, man, USF's offensive linemen are a lot better than Augustana's. Augie didn't start getting good until they started getting good offensive linemen. You know, maybe there was something to that. Maybe Bob teaching Kalen all those things about offensive line play helped him go out and not only find good offensive linemen, but then develop them, turn them into good offensive linemen. Well, wasn't part of Bob Young, I guess, the genius that, uh, that eventually led to that 96 national title was, and he had been, by the way, they had been good for years. They were not ever at quite at the level that they got to in 96, right? He had some good teams. I think um, like eight. They, they, they kind of started to, uh, in the early, I think it was Kalen and Curtis's freshman year, they went like two and eight. Okay. And that was basically the only real bad year Bob ever had. But I know in Chad Garrow, the former Brandon coach, who's, who was Bob's son-in-law, mm -hmm. like in late 80s, they had a somewhat of a good run, like an 88 or 89. They had they had a lot of good teams under there, Bob. There were some good teams. It's, it anyway. is a little bit of a misnomer. Bob did not take over a doormat. Uh, the guy who left, I believe his name was David Schroeder, he's kind of the one who started turning it around. Okay. And then his last year, they went like 8-2 and two or something like that, 9-1, and one, and Schroeder left for another job. And Bob took over. Because of the success at USF. Because of the success he had at USF. And Bob took over a good program. But, and I'm not trying to take credit away from David Schroeder or Bob Young, Bob was the one who kind of built it into a sustained thing. Yeah. And David Schroeder deserves credit for that. Uh, but absolutely, you know, I think someone told me the, the program's overall winning percentage when Bob took over was still in the two or three hundreds. Oh, my God. Even after David Schroeder had had a nine and one, eight and two season or whatever. So he clearly is the one who, OK, we got it going a little bit here. We got some momentum. He took it to another level. And then obviously, 20 years later, Kalen DeBoer took it. to. And where had level. Bob come from? Uh, he was from he was a USF alum, yeah. played at Sioux Falls College. And when his playing career left, he got into coaching, went down to Arizona to coach high school football. Well, I think actually he started at Beersford, maybe. Um, coached a couple years in South Dakota, moved out to Phoenix, was a highly successful high school coach in Phoenix. And then the USF job opened, and he wanted to come back to coach his alma mater. He got a USF job out of high school, which, like, uh it doesn't happen anymore. You don't get head coaching jobs in, in college uh, coming from high often. school. Dave Kraut's another thing. We're going to get to Dave in a moment. I, I know. Thing. It's just like that doesn't happen anymore. But um, but it happened and it worked. And but it, it, it So it, it certainly seems like not only was Bob Young a good coach of players, he was a good coach of coaches, just that example with Kalen DeBoer. Um, well, as I, I said in the story, his legacy is no, mo no longer the national championship. I mean, he won one. Kalen won three. Yeah. Bob Young's legacy is what came after him. Sure. You know, what the program has done moving up to Division Two and continuing to have success. But also, <laughs> his protege is the Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Yeah. That is so far above anything in NAIA. And to Bob's credit, it was, you know, K Curtis Riggs said in the story, like, you meet Bob Young and he tells you he's a football coach. The first thing he's going to do is brag about – Kalen DeBoer, Curtis Riggs, Chuck Morrell, John Anderson, all those other guys. Uh -huh. That has become 
sort of the legacy of his. Yes, what USF has done on the field has been great, and there's national championships, there's all those trophies, and that's awesome. But to see, I mean, that entire Washington coaching staff damn near is guys with ties to USF, and that's really incredible. And I think when you hear Kalen DeBoer, Kalen could very easily be like, yeah, yeah, Bob was my coach and whatever, but that's not where I learned how to coach. Kalen goes out of his way to point out just how influential Bob was to him. And he's not just, you know, saying it to, to be nice to Bob or have it look good in the newspaper or whatever. It's very obvious how much those lessons, teaching him the X's and O's, teaching him how to deal with people. Because Kalen does the same thing. What we were talking about earlier about how Bob get, wants to get to know you, ask you questions and stuff. When Bob died, I texted Kalen and said, hey, I get it. You're the Pac-12 coach of the year. You're a busy guy, but I'm writing something about Bob Young. I'd like to talk to you. He texted me right back. He said, absolutely, this is I'm available. Give me a call. I called him, and the first – I was kind of in the basement wandering around while I was talking to Kalen, and Jen was kind of in the background. The first 10 minutes of our conversation, me and Kalen – he was just asking me, what's going on in Sioux Falls? What's up with your new job? What happened at the Argus Leader? Uh, how are the Renner Monarchs doing? What's <laughs> going on with all this stuff? Because Kalen like, played for the Renner Monarchs right, for right. years. Yeah. It, it took, That's how you it, got to know Kalen was through the Monarchs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took 10 or 15 minutes for us to start talking about Bob because Kalen just wanted to know what was going on, going on in my life. And Kalen's a big deal now, you know? He's a celebrity. He's a millionaire. He's a famous football coach. 11 and he 2 in year 1. Yeah. He could have just been like, get this over with. Let's go. You know, he spent 10, 15 minutes wanting to ask me about my life. And part of that is, yeah, Kalen also is a really good guy. Yes. But then when he started his conversation about Bob talking about, like basically saying Bob taught me how this is how you be a good person. This is how you make an impact on other people. Kalen is clearly repeating the lessons that he was taught by Bob Young. Yeah, and but Kalen had been... I, I'm going back to Bob being not only being a good coach of coaches, but identifying good coaches because obviously... Kalen and Chuck uh, up mm -hmm. there at Washington, Ryan Grubb. Um, so, but what was, didn't Bob find Kalen? I know Curtis was coaching high school. Curtis and Kalen had both played for Bob, obviously, mm -hmm. but weren't they both coaching high school when Bob got them on the staff? Kalen's first coaching job uh, after he was playing, I don't remember if he immediately GA'd at USF or if he went straight to Washington because he worked under Kim Nelson for yeah. a year at Washington. Uh, and then, he was 24, 25 yeah. when Bob made him his OC. Wow. And then, uh, of course, uh, Curtis Riggs was OC at, was he at? Roosevelt. Roosevelt before he became. Well, did, well he was, was at the storm before that. But was Curtis ever on Bob's staff, or did he not get hired? So, no. Okay. Kalen so. hired him. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Okay. Um, but anyway, so Bob must have saw something in Kalen. I mean, I, I guess, uh, because... Uh, Kalen, did he become OC right away? Or? Yeah, he was like 24, 25 when My he became God. the OC. So Bob and then head coach at 30. So Bob identified this. I mean, yeah. I know it's USF, and I know it's not, you know, it's not this, it isn't the Pac-12, but still to hire a 25-year-old OC out mm -hmm. of high school uh, means he must have had an inkling that Kalen was going to be a pretty good coach. Mm -hmm. And uh, had that hire not been made, who knows what, you know, maybe Kalen would have been a star and eventually gotten to where he's gotten, but that's, that's how he got there, and that's incredible. Um, I, so the, the only perspective I can offer on Bob Young as we transition into Dave Krauth stories is, uh, and I'm glad, you know, you had your 20 minutes before me, 
But, I mean, I, I have nothing really different to say about my own personal experiences. I've only had two or three, and they weren't anything out of the ordinary. Really nice guy. Uh, you, know, you know, interviewed him a few times on the radio. Very, but By the way, a very nice interview. I mean, he was mm-hmm. not, of course, he's not as colorful and dazzling as a lot of guys and a lot of coaches. But, you know, he's one of those guys that's earned kind of the right for you to sit there and listen and hinge mm-hmm. on every word he's saying mm-hmm. and uh, has his own way of uh, folksy way of telling stories. But, you, you know, you mentioned the personal touch. So every year the University of Sioux Falls has, uh, like every other school, has a golf fundraising event. And the SID? The SID. And it's for Sid Kortemeyer. And what the, my, I've, I played it a couple times. And what I remember most about the SID is Sid and Bob driving around on, the, on a golf cart. They didn't play. I don't know if they were golfers or not, but they didn't play in this thing. They just drove all over the golf course all day long so Bob and Sid, mainly Bob, could just shake hands and mm-hmm. talk to the people playing. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming out. And, of course, most of the people playing in this had some sort of ties to USF or to Bob. But some of these people were, like, not just us dweebs at the radio station, Craig Maddock and I, or our um, sales guy at the radio station. You know, some of these people are like sponsors of USF. They don't know them very well. And so I don't know if that was Bob's idea or Sid's idea or somebody else's idea, but that's how Bob chose to spend that day. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could have. Uh, first of all, this is a tournament named after Sid. <laughs> uh, so I, Bob didn't necessarily have to be there, but I'm just guessing he and or Sid knew that everybody loved both of them, and so that was their little charm, their little touch. We're going we're gonna, to, at some point in the round, you're going to get a visit from Bob and Sid. Uh, and then um, my husband, actually, Gilbert, uh, went to USF in the mid-90s, mm-hmm. and this is a very small college. He was friends with, and I don't know how good of friends, but... I mean, Gilbert's the kind of guy who's friends with everybody, but he he was friends with Kalen. He was friends with Curtis, uh, who, who were on those national that national title team in '96. Because he's their age, yeah, yeah. And wanted to get that in for Gilbert. I know he likes that. <laughs> right, he's in his late forties, <laughs> and uh, he he he. And so Gilbert posted something very sweet and nice the day after Bob died, which is by the way very similar to every other post I saw and all the stories that you had in your story on Sue. Uh, were you at? Sioux Falls Live dot com. They all end, by the way, with Bob saying "Love you, man." Apparently, mm. he said that to everybody when you were done with the conversation with him. Mark Ovenden pointed that out. Gilbert pointed that out. But Gilbert remembers he was a cross country runner, mm-hmm. but he was friends somehow with Kalen and Curtis and some of these football players. And he would just sometimes, at the end of cross country practice, go sit uh, in that. 50-yard or 60-yard, whatever, makeshift practice football field, watch practice, and, uh, you know, and then at the end of practice, he just remembers the uh, maybe the first, I don't know if it was the first time he saw it, but he remembers Bob coming up to him. Gilbert's just a student. He's not a football player. He's just sitting there. And, you know, you and I know, and anybody who's played football knows, like the, the mindset or mentality, any football player or coach is after a practice is kind of like a hundred percent on what just happened mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know I mean and they're, as they're walking off the field it, it was a good practice a bad practice but you're you're completely your mind is in a big fog about mm-hmm. football right mm-hmm. and yeah you know, it could be different from for head coaches because some of them like Bob especially at that point in his career may have been a delegating guy and not as intense but he yeah anyway land he, the plane John. he just went up to Gilbert and st- just had the conversation didn't know who the Hell, Gilbert was, as far as I know, and just started talking to him. Just say, "Hey, I'm Bob," and shook his hand, mm-hmm. and 
who are you? And he didn't say, who are you? But, like, just <laughs> had the same conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, are you friends with these guys? Like, um, just, a, just a very friendly, chatty guy. Okay, Dave Krauth uh, is, uh, is the Augustana women's coach, 34 years, 33 winning seasons, and uh, he's retiring. And I, I, uh, I only got started on your story, but it started terrifically with uh, his demeanor and what he, his, what he looks like and all that. Um, and, and, and you, so I can tell that that story is, gives Dave Krauth his due, and it's the word legend is used. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fair, but it feels like Dave Krauth, and because of the nature of it, it's, Augie, it's Augustana and it's women's basketball, it's always kind of in the background of the Sioux Falls sports scene. It's a little under the radar, and he's got a very, even though he's got a big looming presence, he's got a very under-the-radar personality, mm-hmm. But he is so quietly, and I, I would always say this when we interviewed Dave uh, on the Daily Radio Show, uh, he just, I, besides the demeanor and the stories that I want to get into about his personality, the guy freaking wakes up, rolls out of bed, and just wins 20 games right, every year. Right. Like, or has a winning season every year. It, he had, it, it's just the, because of the track record and because of his personality, he makes this look easy. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like... This is what this is what happens. I'm Dave Krauth, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna win 20 games. And maybe it's because they haven't won a national championship, or uh, I, I don't know. It's like they're just always really good, but you know they just kind of fly under the radar. And I so I appreciate, of course, when him he, he retired. Now that he's retiring, s- stuff like this is gonna come out of the woodwork. It's like, oh, by the way, he's won over a thousand basketball games mm-hmm. and almost 700 at Augie, and he's a he's a legend. So anyway. Go. It's funny. Dave was the first person I ever interviewed at the Argus. Wow. Um, okay. That's I got, a good start. I, it was 2003. I was out of college working at B-Dubs when my family owned it, trying to find a quote-unquote real job. And uh, my mom was good friends with Jeff Filling, Augustana's radio guy. Mm-hmm. And she just mentioned to Jeff, like, hey, my son majored in journalism, wrote for a school paper. He's kind of trying to find something to do. And Jeff mentioned to Mick Gary, like, hey, I have this friend who has a kid who knows how to write. And I guess Mick was like, yeah, we need some some part-time or stringers, we call them, you know, uh, freelance people. Tell them to call the sports editor. So I did, and 24 hours after making that phone call, I'm at the Elman Center covering a non-conference Augie women's basketball game. Wow. And I didn't know too much about Augustana basketball. Uh, I'd been to a lot of Augie games as a kid um, just because my dad would take me to a lot of Augie. He'd usually take me to see the Augie State game at the arena, you know, to see the rabbit get thrown onto the floor and Augie Doggie and all that. And uh, I remember when I walked in and sat down seeing Dave Krauth and being like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. You know, and I had, I, you know, I, not because I knew anyone who had played at Augustana. I just sort of recognized him from seeing him on the news or whatever. He had this presence right away, you know, and he had already been the coach for about 15 years at that time, was already very well established as a winner. Um, I had been to Augie games before. Uh, I was really nervous to interview him. And when I did interview him after that game, which they won over Minnesota Crookston, he didn't do anything to alleviate my being nervous you know I mean and I don't mean that he he was you know difficult either he was just very he was Dave Krauth naturally intimidating he was he was no nonsense I will make time for you and answer your questions and 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 uh I tried really really hard to make that 
you know, Thursday night non-conference game story as good as I could. Um, and that, you know, sent me on my way to, to covering sports for the next rest of my life. But I remember um, because I did well in that story and whatever, I, I ended up getting to cover a lot of Augustana basketball games in the, in the near term before I was made a full-time person. And so the Augie women's program has always had a little bit of a – I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for that team because mm. it was kind of where I, I, I broke in. And uh, But it's weird. Dave was the first guy I ever interviewed. I've never had any sort of confrontation with him or issue with him, probably because his teams have always been good. Yeah. You know, there's never been anything negative to write about him right. or whatever. But I don't have a ton of great Dave Krause stories, and part of the reason is – what we were just kind of talking about what came up in my column a little bit. Uh, Dave doesn't want attention. Dave doesn't, you know, try to be some sort of character that, you know, wins favor with the media or gets headlines or whatever. Um, he didn't want people to know he was retiring. He told the school before the year, they're like, we have to announce this. He's like, no, can't we just wait till after the, you know, and Katie Bork, his assistant had a, a direct quote, in my story, like he hates the attention and you hear things like that. And you think maybe it's bullshit. Yeah, that it's false sure. modesty. Yes. You know? But I can tell you from 20 years of, of being around him, obviously the last seven or eight, not nearly as much as I used to, but the guy's not doing it to bring attention to himself. He doesn't have an ego. Um, he, you know, that's why he never sought to leave Augustana. You don't think of all the winning there that someone else would have wanted to bring him in to, 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 to run their program, to build a program, that he couldn't have gone and coached at the Division One level? Of course he could have. He didn't want to. He's got a good thing going there. And I've always respected the fact that Dave never made any effort to, to be any more than just Dave Krauth, the women's basketball coach at Augustana. Uh, I've had very few, you know, personal off-the-record conversations with Dave, you know. And I don't mean that as a criticism of him, that he's, like, not a good guy or anything. He's a really good dude. He's laid back. He's a lot funnier than I think people yeah. would maybe – uh, pick up on from from seeing his his uh, sideline demeanor, um, but he's just you know it, it was that was such an easy story to write because Dave is so genuine. There's no like, well, what kind of guy is he really? You know, sometimes when you're doing a story like that, you feel like you got to dig a little bit like to to get to the essence of a person. Dave's been an open book forever. This is who he is, and that's part of why he's been so successful um, yeah. because he's just this is me. Um, you know, I asked Katie Bork, I said, how does he still relate to kids when he's 73 years old? Yeah. And she was like, by not pretending to be anything other than 73-year-old Dave Krauth, you know? <laughs> and uh, I, I just think that's a perfect encapsulation of him. I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I like Dave, although, like I said, I've, I've never been particularly close to yeah. him because that's just his personality. But I can tell you there's very, very few people in the local sports scene that I respect more than Dave, and I've heard a lot of other people say that. Uh, sure. I remember I remember Stu Whitney telling me once, and he you know he doesn't really cover Augustana or whatever, but we were just kind of having a conversation once several years ago about you know so who are the, some of the the best of the best around here, and Dave's name was one of the first that came up. Uh, Mick Gary would have said the same thing, you know when when you've got someone who is such a straight shooter and has the success that he has and never bitches that his success isn't getting enough attention. Right. You know, anything like that. Like, he just has gone about, like you said, rolls out of bed and wins 20, 25 games year after year after year after year. And then to dig in a little more to what I got into in the story is, and Bill Gross told a great story that 
I could have told the same story. How many times you've watched Augustana basketball and you look at their team coming back and go, oh, geez, who, how are they going to be any good? They got nobody coming back. You know, their top three scorers graduated or all their returning, you know, no returning stars or whatever. And he always finds a way to take a player who averaged three points a game one year. Next thing you know, she's averaging 15 points a game. And I think, and I alluded to this a little bit in the column, Dave knows how good of a coach he is. He would never say it because, again, he's not big on drawing attention to himself. He's very modest. But I guarantee you that Dave Krauth went into seasons like that where it was like, oh, how are we going to win this? Who we got to come back saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a way. Because he knew he could get more out of those players than certain other coaches could. And I think Dave took it as a challenge to himself to say, I'm going to find a way to squeeze 20 wins out of this team come hell or high water. And more often than not, he did it. And so it, while he makes it look easy, he probably worked very hard at it. Or, or I think he worked very hard at it, and it came easy, if that's possible. Sure, like, I think I it is. I just think he's that good at what he does. Yeah, um, it, yeah. the success in the record speaks for itself. And, uh, and, and maybe you've just answered the question, but w what have you understood to be the reason why he's such a good coach, why the record is so good year after year, no matter what he has coming back? I don't think anyone out there develops players the way he does in that he can take someone and find a way to get to find a role for them that they can fill adequately or maybe get more out of them than even they think th they can do. There's so many players over the year when I was when I covered them regularly I could probably do a better job of giving you some names but just off the top of my head uh, Jessica Klein, Brooke Olson, uh, Izzy Van Veldhuizen, uh, there's, there's so many players that at one point in their career you're like oh I don't know if this player is ever going to amount to anything. She doesn't seem like you know she's going to be anything more than a bit player. And then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, we need someone. There's an opening. Someone's got to score. And that player steps up and does it. And another thing to Dave's credit is he always gave that player the credit. He would always say, well, hey, you know, she busted her ass and turned herself into that player. And I'm sure, obviously, that, of course, the player deserves a lot of the credit. But it's not a coincidence that that kept, that kept happening over and over yeah. under Dave Krauth's tutelage. He would find a way to turn average players into good players, good players into great players, and that's part of how they were so successful all the time. You know, another part of it, too, is I just always really respected the way Dave carried himself, the way he talked to his players, the way his his uh, demeanor during games. I've always appreciated the way he talks to referees. I mean, you and I maybe are more sensitive to it than others, but, like, it gets annoying when you get a coach who just does nothing but bitch and moan and scream and holler the whole game. And, There's a lot of them. And Dave doesn't do that. And that maybe doesn't have as much to do with the success. That's just something I like about him. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. That, I don't know. The devil's in the details when you win that much. Yeah, yeah. Every No stone unturned. And he may, maybe he has an understanding. Maybe he discovered at some point early or midway through his coaching career that uh, it's wasted effort. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or that maybe if I, I've, you know, this is an interesting topic. I, of course, I didn't anticipate coming along. I was observing this as I was. I observe this like you do almost every game, watching how much coaches bitch at refs, and if it's going to work on the next play or mm -hmm. the rest of the game or not. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, you wonder. Um, yeah, if, if his, if his and I'm sure if you asked him, he'd tell you at this point. He has nothing to lose by <laughs> revealing his quote-unquote secrets. That just maybe, and this isn't just with refs, but maybe with players and with anybody else. If you have a general, if you if you have a consistently uh, stoic or even keeled 
demeanor that people are used to, and then all of a sudden you decide to speak up. You decide it means to, more. It yeah. means more, mm-hmm. and uh, it will be more effective. You know, pick your spots, pick your battle. Yeah. Maybe yeah, that's it's it. It's not like I've never seen Dave blow up at a field before. I have seen it, but every time he did it, you're like, whoa, you must have really blown that call. Exactly, yeah. 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 Um, and I, I, I love the vo- – I just love his voice. He has this deep, barreling <laughs> voice. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I love the way your story just started with his demeanor on the sidelines, this tall, looming figure. And uh, I, I, I've um, – he, he kind of reminds me in a subtle way of Yoda. And I'm not even a Star Wars person. <laughs> Doesn't he kind of seem like Yoda? I compared him to a Game of Thrones ruler, so you I did. don't know if we're necessarily on the same page eh, there. Kind of, not really, but kind of. What I of. meant with, with, with my line there is that he can be a little bit intimidating, but he's kind of earned it. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, he's also, but also like how he's funny, you know, like just when you think like, geez, this guy's kind of scary, you know, no, he's not, you know, he's actually a really nice man. Um, like I said, oh, I, yeah. if, if, if I've ever made Dave mad, he certainly didn't tell me. Right. You know, um, and he, d- he does have a very good, very dry sense of humor. Um, this didn't work its way into the story, but this, this will be familiar to you. I was asking Bill Gross about Dave's personality, and I asked Bill if, even though Bill was his boss for all those years, if, if Bill ever went to Dave, you know, for advice or just, you know, counsel because he's such a wise sort of dude. Yes. And Bill was like, oh, Absolutely. And he said the thing about Dave was he wasn't the kind of person who would say, well, you know, this is what you should do, or this is what I think about this. You know, he would kind of ask you the right questions to draw, get you to say it yourself, sort of, you know. And, and then he was like, well, sounds like maybe that's what you should do, you know, or, or maybe that wouldn't be such a bad idea. Awesome. You know, like he, he's so good at, you know, listening and saying so much with so few words yes. and sort of helping you arrive at what you know was the right thing to do anyway, but just sort of getting you there on your own. And that, you know, I've certainly never had that personal of a conversation with Dave, but that made, that felt very yeah. familiar to me. He's just the dude. That, that again, it, it's kind of a Yoda-ish. He's not trying to be like this philosopher, savant, uh, go-to guy uh, but he just kind of he just kind of is naturally uh, like you just want to listen to every word he says whenever he does talk. And I always enjoyed that whenever we had him on the Daily Show as well. He would answer questions very directly and uh, not particularly colorfully. But you're just kind of like you, you still want to li- you just kind of want to lean forward and listen. What's he got to say? What's he got to say? You know, and the, and, and and the most interesting thing, uh, you know, toward the end of his career, obviously, this is it. He's retiring. Thank you for, by the way, revealing that, that this is not something that he just announced and he wanted everybody to know because mm-hmm. I've always found that interesting. Yeah, like when Coach K and some of these other ones Coach gave K. themselves the farewell tour it's, so that yes. everyone could give them a ball yeah. at every stop that he made. The first that I remember doing that was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right? Kareem did this. He announced his retirement before his final season, and every effing where he went, right. here's a gift before the game. Right. And, of right. course, every game right. was on national TV, and you get to say, oh, the Bucks gave him a rocking chair. Ha, 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 because he's old. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I love Kareem. By the way, I love Kareem. I, not just the player, but the, the dude. Uh, but uh, And I then I remember, this is an odd story, but kind of similar because uh, I covered in college Terry Pettit's this Nebraska volleyball legend. You know how legendary the Nebraska volleyball program is. Uh, and he built it, and um, in th- his final year, uh, 
was anticipated to be his final year because the guy that he hired to be his successor, John Cook, who's still the coach, and he's won like five national titles, uh, was hired as an associate head coach. Everybody's like, is Pettit retiring? He just hired this guy. Uh-huh. Like, there's, that's got to be a successor, right? And so everybody could kind of like connect the dots. But, this, but Terry Pettit never announced, this is my last season. And then at some point he said when he retired in his retirement press conference, I did not, wherever, if, when our team went to Oklahoma, when our team went to Missouri, I did not want this to be Terry Pettit's last game at Oklahoma, Terry mm-hmm. Pettit's last game at Missouri. Mm-hmm. He knew there was still a tension because everybody was suspecting it. Uh-huh. Um, but it's good, it's, I, I'm, I'm winding back to it's good to know how everybody knows that this is Dave's last year and it wasn't a Dave-generated thing. Not that mm-hmm. I would really fault him if it was. Well, it's funny, too. In my column I wrote, I only include one quote from Dave himself because I talked to him in October. Wow. Okay. When he made the announcement in October, they uh, and it was it was very like I was actually a little pissed off. Augie sends out this press release saying, "Ah, Dave Krause retiring." It's like, "Oh, okay." And if you want to talk to him about it, it's in 20 minutes, and he's never talking about it again. I'm kind of like, "Excuse you." Like, Okay, I guess I'll drop everything so that I can come do this, which I did, and I'm glad I did because it was a big story. But that's how how serious Dave was about, like, I don't want to talk about this. He's like, I'll talk about it once, right now, and then that's it. Not even one-on-one with you. I mean, I, I probably could have twisted could've. his arm if yeah. I wanted to, yeah. but I wanted to respect his wishes. Yeah, sure. You know, so he said, you know, so me and seven other reporters came out to the Elman Center and did a 15-minute Q&A with him. In October, yeah. and I've been sitting on those quotes for the last four months. Yeah. I, I kept trying to, like, when can I get around to it? But, you know, SDSU's football team was playing for a national championship. I was kind of busy. Uh, so finally this week I got around to it. And, uh, again, I thought about, you know, if I called Dave and said, hey, you know, I want to talk to you one more time, he probably would have done it. Um, but I didn't want to. He, he said that's how he wanted it, and so that's how we're treating it. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think he meant it. because Obviously he meant it, but, uh, you know, he didn't want it to be this old win one for Dave sort of thing, even though that's obviously what the players are yeah. thinking, what I mean, they're doing. Yeah, we're and burying the, they're twenty four and four. Thank you. We're yeah. burying that. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Um I well, I just uh, you could sense this day was coming, obviously, because of his age. He's seventy three. Uh but also Two, three years ago, when it was anticipated that Augustana was making a move, they're trying to go Division One. They're mm-hmm. trying to get into the Summit League. Uh, what, you know, what does this mean for, for and obviously basketball's the banner-carrying sport. Well, for Tom Billiter, this meant, um, you know, he's coached Augie to a Division Two national title. He's been, uh, it's public that, you know, he's gone up for SDSU and USD's jobs mm-hmm. in, in, in the last decade. Uh, and, and was a it was a power five assistant for years before he was at Augustana, and you know this this was his last chance as he's aging to get a Division one job, and now all of a sudden Augustana's gonna go Division one, and he's just gonna he's gonna be right there that that's his Division one head job. With Dave Kraut, it was kind of like does Dave Kraut at his age at the time seventy or so years old seem like the kind of guy who really wants to be the guy who's transitioning Augustana to Division One with whatever trappings and extra things come with mm-hmm. being Division One, And so I kind of asked him that one time in an interview. And, uh, you know, he he was neither – he he didn't – What did he say? He didn't tap dance around it. He, he basically said, no, I really don't. That's kind of what I thought. Yeah, but he didn't say, like – he didn't. I'm uh, out. He didn't. Pro- he didn't proclaim it. Yeah. Um, he just kind of foreshadowed that. Y- he basically said, "Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't. Not so I, fired I, up I, about I, that. I don't. I don't. I, exactly. I'm no. not too fired up about that. No. <laughs> I had heard uh, that he was like, yeah, no, not doing it. Yeah. But then I'd also heard other people say, oh, you know, he might, because the one thing I'll say about Dave, I kind of alluded to it earlier, like I think he's up for a challenge. You know, sure. I, he's a competitive dude. Yes. And I know in the NCC days, he relished going up against SDSU and NDSU when those programs were so good. Even at the end of the NCC days when North Dakota and South Dakota were still in the conference, those were big games. So I could see him talking himself into it, you know, saying like, hey, I want to, I want to take on this challenge. But, yeah, especially you get to his age and, you know, who knows how long it's going to be before Augie is able to go Division One, or even if they're, you know, if hockey is successful enough, they might just decide, ah, let's leave everyone else that's, in Division Two. We'll that's see. the deal. You doing the story today, and I figured you were going to have it coming up soon because this is the end of the run for Dave Krauth, and I knew I just knew you were going to do a Dave Krauth retirement story. Is that? Oh, by, oh, by the way, that never happened. The uh, Augustana never went Division right. One. They were going to leave the Northern Sun and all this, and now it's just hot. Is that where it's at right now? Are they just going to be Division One hockey and Division Two sports? As far, other sports the other as sports, sports are on the back burner while they focus on getting hockey off the ground. Okay. Is they still say that their plan is to eventually take the rest of their sports to Division One. Okay. Um, but I've been told in no uncertain terms, if whatever that even means, like that if hockey is super successful, they could they could decide, eh, this is good. We have our Division One presence. Let's stay where we're at. I'm, I'm not saying that's what they want yeah. to do, but that that's on the table. I think. Okay, uh, I, uh, we and we can talk about that later. I, I'll, I'll circle back to Dave, another guy who was a high school coach who got hired at a college, mm -hmm. and just ran with it and ran with it. Awesome. That may that may it it, it it just I don't know if it happened today. I don't know if anybody would go. And he wasn't even coaching. Did he? Do you remember which high school he came from? To Augustana, Des Moines Roosevelt. Okay, okay, so that's a big city. Mm -hmm. That's a big high school. He had been at Tri Valley. Okay, doing boys and girls at Tri Valley. Yeah. Then went to Des Moines to do just girls. Wow. Yeah. And killed it, crushed it, and mm -hmm. then got an Augustana job. Do you think that would happen today? That just doesn't happen. Uh, I mean, it, you got to be an assistant at the college level at the very least, right? You never know. I mean, programs get desperate or whatever, yeah. and obviously Augustana is not desperate, and they're not ever going to be, but. You know, I mean, I suggested Chad Statham as a candidate for USF's football job, and I don't think that would have been outrageous. Right. But it would have been an, uh, an outlier. Yes. You know, it would have been, been a surprise. Yeah. Like Creighton, Creighton, when I grew up watching Creighton basketball, their coach, uh, 1985 to 91, took him to two NCAA tournaments, got the job at Texas A&M after that. Tony Baroni was his name, uh -huh. which is funny enough. He was this <laughs> big, fat Italian guy. <laughs> he, he, he went from – and Creighton isn't – wasn't then what it is right. now, 19,000 people yeah. and playing in the Big East. But he went, for, the guy was hired as the Creighton basketball coach, that, which was Division One, from a, a Catholic high school in Chicago. It wasn't like even how? like an Omaha or anything. No, he yeah. had never coached in college. He was a Catholic high school. <laughs> and, he, and he did great. He crushed it at Creighton and got a Texas A&M job. That didn't go well. He was an NBA scout. He eventually, trivia, became the head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. He had been a scout in the NBA for like 10 years after Texas A&M didn't work hmm. out. And then was head coach for like a, an interim coach for a year or two with the Memphis Grizzlies. But that just, he, he, he had a career that led to being a head coach in the NBA from being from high, school. Uh, from high school to college. Yeah, that didn't happen too much. It anymore. just, uh, I, they just don't take those kind of leaps. Of, and that's my point is maybe they should. If, if it yeah. worked out for Dave Krauth, maybe that should be more of a consideration yeah. sometimes for people. Jerry Faust, Notre Dame from, from a high school in Cincinnati, the guy before Lou Holtz. Didn't work, so maybe not. Um, all right, you're checking your phone. You're checking the time. We got to go. All mm -hmm. right. Um, 
Oral Roberts at SDSU or at USD on Thursday, SDSU on Saturday. That's the big one because they're undefeated. They're two wins away from being the – last year SDSU was the first team ever. Oral Roberts is about to, to do it immediately after them. Are they a big show like a couple of years ago? Like, I mean, it's mostly the same guy. They still have Max Acemas, and now they have a seven foot five center. I'm looking forward to seeing him play in person. Uh, they're legit. They're really good. Uh, but the Jacks are on fire. They've won six in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're the Jacks, you know, obviously you'd love to beat them on Saturday, snap their winning streak, prevent them from going undefeated. But I think more than anything, you just want to find out, all right, can we play with these guys? Because you get them in Sioux Falls, the Premier Center, Summer League Tournament, Obviously, anything can happen there. That's that's their environment. Uh, meanwhile, for the Yotes, they play they play Oral Roberts on Thursday. I, I asked uh, our friend Coyote Eric, and trust me, this is going to be quick. Um, you know, hey, it is February. We're th- uh, what two weeks? It'll be two weeks from the Summit League tournament starting on Saturday. Uh, I it has not been a great year for the USD men or women. But, hey, it's February. Hope springs eternal. Uh, your excitement level, your anticipation level. And Coyote Eric, who usually thankfully writes, you know, long diatribes and biblical passages. He said. Zero excitement other than volleyball. It's been a train wreck of a year for USD athletics. So, okay, good to know. Not quite like at Nebraska where they're getting 15,000 people to watch a 500 team uh, in February. Okay. Uh, Maybe that'll change. Maybe that will not. Uh, Can I ask you one last question about Bob Young? Yeah. That I forgot. The reason why we brought up Bob Young is because we, we never got to it, and somebody wanted us to get to it, specifically not only to, to hear us talk about Bob Young, but he, he, this is, uh, forgive me for the Nebraska reference, because I did this with Stiegelmeyer all the time. Uh, Bob Young does remind me of Tom Osborne, uh, the kind of biblical guy, uh, nice uh, and very calm, not a, not a rah-rah or, 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 yell, or yeller of a coach. Um, but another part about Tom Osborne, who's still alive in Lincoln, is many people felt that Nebraska athletics would not sell alcohol at football or basketball games until Tom Osborne died. Mm-hmm. And uh, they finally, they got it. he's not dead, and they are doing it. And I enjoyed that. I went down to the women's game, Nebraska-Iowa on Saturday. It's nice. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like this could have been done years ago. We've had ad nauseum conversations mm-hmm. about this on the podcast. But but everybody except USF basically around here is doing it now. Northern, SDSU, the public schools, and Augustana. What about USF? That's the question. Didn't you say you asked Pam Gole about it a year or two ago, and she was like, yeah, no, we're not even entertaining she that. She did, but I wonder, how is Bob Young any part of that, or is that just part of the I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he had a, a say in it. I've been told that Bob frowned on alcohol use. Um and it's his name on the stadium. Yeah. So I could see him saying, like, I don't want that in I mean, my we, house. Yeah, I mean, we could be adults about this and say it's understandable. Yeah, no, I mean, Bob I, I, Young earns that right, deserves that right, well, whatever. You know, uh, I remember Willie telling me many, many years ago that he wanted to sell alcohol at the stadium as soon as they built it. And he was like, Pfft. he's like, our board of directors, you know, I believe his, I don't want to say his exact quote, paraphrasing his quote was like, if I bring that to our board of directors, they'll look at me like I'm trying to, perform human sacrifices at halftime, you know. Yeah. And so I don't know the answer to this guy's question, how much of an influence Bob had, but the impression I have gotten from from the time I talked to Pam Gold, the athletic director, about this, I don't know, October of 2021 or so, was the same, was kind of the same. She did kind of say, 
Yep, um, we're, you know, she used the word Christian. Yep, we're a, we're a Christian school, and it's great that other schools are doing that. That's fine. We're not interested. What we does don't, being a Christian and, school have to do with it? And we don't, that's just, I don't know. That's just what she said. But and, I, just, I, I know, I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate or whatever, but like, yeah. you know, religious people drink too. Of There's course. nothing in the Bible saying alcohol is bad. Right, Augustana yeah. is technically a religious yeah. school. And, uh, drink uh, wine at communion. And I don't yeah. know, and, I don't, <laughs> and they're selling beer on campus at their football games. Their basketball is off campus. So I don't know, but I mean, she. But, but her other point, besides using the word Christian a couple times, was we just don't feel like we need it here. We we like our athletic events the way they are, and uh, I mean, I, and she might well be right about that. I mean, yeah, it, it's a significant cost to sell alcohol. So if you don't feel like it's going to bring in added attendance numbers, it's probably not worth the effort. Do you think you it know? would? I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, USF. I. I'm I mean, not Aug- so sure. Augie's doing it, and it sounds like it's working for them, but Augie draws better than USF, so I don't know. Would, would USF draw better if they sold alcohol? Yeah, I mean, well, and plus, I will, say, I will say in USF's defense, they, they are much more uh, uh, favorable towards their tailgating scene, whereas Augie kind of had, at least in the old days, were kind of Nazis about their tailgating. So maybe that's part of it, too. It's like, hi, you can go to USF and tailgate without getting hassled and have a few beers in the parking lot so you don't need to have it in the games. Whereas, you know, I, you know, all my baseball friends from Augie would always tell me how, you know, they try to tailgate before a football game and they'd have campus police, you know, shutting them down and stealing their, confiscating their beer and everything. So, all right, I don't know. Interesting. Well, I'm sure we'll get some response out of that. Uh, let's go home, beat the snowpocalypse, and uh, see. And hopefully, uh, safe we'll, travels, we'll everyone. Cl- yeah, we'll have clear paths to get here next week. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. <laughs> you guys need a round of drinks? Yes. Yeah.